So oddly, though, like, despite the pain and misery of that place, I do have some, like, fond memories of shared suffering with the comrades, you know, like everybody just staring around despondently and realizing everyone else is just as miserable as them. And throw to Kevin. Are we ever going to change the theme song? Uh, Or start using the edited version? How dare you? <laughs> I don't want to use that in version anymore. <laughs> I love this version. I agree. I don't think we ever change it. No, so I was planning to change it. No. For season two. Don't need to. Which, where are... I listened to this whole pod... Oh, you can do the intro. Ooh, welcome back, everyone. <laughs> to another episode of... Becoming a Doctor. A podcast where two fourth year medical students talk about the only thing that we ever talk about, and we do it very respectfully. Yes, professionally. Professionally. Medical school. I'm your host, Santana Sanchez. I'm your co-host, Kevin Gale. And you can check out this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on the World Wide Web at www.com becomingadoctorpod.com. Yes. And on Twitter, at becomingadocpod. Sweet. Also, you can email us your questions yes. for the mailbag. Yep. Uh, send them right to our email, kevinjgale at gmail.com. Exactly. Here we go! So back to the question. <laughs> Will we ever change the theme song? Oh, I listened to a whole podcast. Okay. Uh, of our podcast? <laughs> no, H, uh, Planet Money. Okay. HBO used to have that that intro static. <laughs> oh. Yep. Iconic. And they t- they spent millions of dollars researching whether they should change that sound because static is no longer a thing when you turn on TV. Oh, sure. So kids nowadays, kids like, these days, huh? they have no idea. The Zoomers. After all the research, they decided, no, it's just... It's like a memory trick. Everyone knows it. Everyone thinks of HBO. It's cool, too. So that would be my argument. We should never change the the intro song. Because, memory trick. Because it's a memory trick. It's also a great song. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I could possibly make a better song no on way. Garage Band. No way. I give you two years, you're not going to think of a better song than that. I wanted to do kind of like an EDM or a house remix, <laughs> but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Well, neither do I. So the song stays. The song stays. It's decided. This Put this down in the podcast lore. Update, Update. the Wikipedia page. Never changing. All right, let's start this up. All right. Three, two, one, <laughs> go! <laughs> so you had something that you wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. I think we, because this is becoming a doctor. So yes. I think we should talk about the actual process of becoming a doctor right now. To update... Snooze fest. <laughs> to update, match was March 17th, and almost immediately, three days later, mm-hmm. I'm getting an email from University of Wisconsin saying, here is your to-do list, a million things. You're getting an email from University of Colorado. Mm-hmm. All the things. Yes. Right? A and Checklist. It, it. I don't know why I'm surprised by it, but in Me order neither. to become a doctor, <laughs> you have to fill out... All the forms. A lot of forms. We are going to be working the Veterans Affairs. Is that mm-hmm. right? VA? Veterans VA? Affairs. Yes. No, Veterans... Hospital Administration. VHA? Yeah. Okay. 
we're gonna be working there and there are there's a whole onboarding packet there's whole training mm-hmm. there is which we an did do as medical students yeah, but you got to do it every two years or every year otherwise you're inactivated right, right, right so right. we got to redo that we got to do for me at university of wisconsin i got to go to wisconsin and do a health exam that's insane where to me. they kind of go over immunizations which makes sense but i also have to get examined I have to go get fingerprinted at the VA in Madison. It's tough. I have to do, you have to do all the things. You have to apply for a license, which I thought we could talk about. Oh, yeah. It was easy for me. Oh, wow. (laughs) Humble brag. Uh, (laughs) Do, 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 do. What's my name? Okay. Did I do any of these things? No, 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 no. Submit. And then you already have your license number? I have my training license for the state of Colorado. I don't have my national provider id mpi national provider identification number I yeah that's what it stands for um so you already but you already have the those are the two things you need you need a national number to prescribe medications you also need a license for colorado halfway there baby halfway there um yeah i'm sure it would be easy in wisconsin but i didn't know this going into this and i told you this you have to report every misdemeanor and felony to in order to get a, a state licensure a resident physician license. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge buzz. It's the biggest buzz I've ever because heard. Because it makes sense if you got a felony or misdemeanor, right? They probably should yep. check that out. It does. But uh, in order to report my multiple DWIs, I have to get certified copies, Ooh. like a stamp from the the courthouse that's like a physical stamp where I got to go pick it up or get it mailed to me. That's so insane. And then I got to go hand deliver it to a place in Wisconsin. You have to hand deliver it? Well, you could <laughs> mail it. But it could get lost. But it could get lost and you might be missing documents. So then they like mail back and it's just like, so I want to go there and make sure I have every document certified. Yikes. Yeah, that's um, a pain. That's a doozy. It. I'm probably like blown out of proportion because it, yesterday it took me all eight hours of my day was dedicated to that. Yep. This morning, a few more hours. Yep. I'm sure after I get the process down, if I when I if and when I move back to Minnesota, mm-hmm. I'll I'll have all my files in my Google Doc, Google Drive. So boom, 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 boom. Yeah. But um, becoming a doctor, the logistics of mm-hmm. like this is when we're actually becoming an MD, mm-hmm. licensure, health assessment, VA stuff. It's uh, it's a ton of things. It's a ton, long list, and then you got to order your. We talked about this last time. We got to order your white coat. How yeah. many buttons are you working with? Yep, I got a medium. Medium. It was adult, male, small, medium, large, extra large, extra extra large. Dude, what? I went with medium. I don't know who I'm trying to fool, but <laughs> you think you're small? <laughs> no, I would think I'm a large. Oh yeah. Well, you. I mean, that's the look these days. The <laughs> Skin tight, <laughs> white coat. Yeah, skin tight scrubs. Right. Well, I mean, it's important to get a white coat that fits really well because it's just going to be in your closet <laughs> for the rest of your life. Yeah, I plan on never wearing my white coat. Maybe like a couple photos at the beginning of the program and maybe one at the end. But Oh, I'm sure. Other than that. Speaking of photos, where are our match day photos? Remember when I was in a good mood before we opened the envelopes? They sent out, they sent something in our university email. You might have unsubscribed from it. <laughs> Did they really? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, it was a recording and I think photos. Did you look? I didn't look. There's good. Remember, you and I had matching suits. Yeah, we. Yeah, we did. We, <laughs> we looked great. There's got to be some photos. We should tweet it since we never use our our Twitter. Yeah, we should. That could be our new avatar. 
I don't think we do have any photos from it. But anyways, I'll look that up off pod. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah, that's an off pod. Anyways, becoming a doctor, a headache, long list of logistics, long list signing. But we did learn which president created the VA. Oh yeah. Before we say the answer, my guess obviously was FDR. The best president. Because he created everything from thirty two to forty five. When it was how was he was? Yep. Yeah, I think he. I think because <laughs> he took over in the Great Depression, mm-hmm. and then 1945. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody fact checked that. Yeah. What right was in. your guess? Also FDR. Oh yeah, the goat. Teddy would have been a good guess because he did all those state parks and stuff nah, back in the 1900s. Teddy's a scrub. But it wasn't FDR. It wasn't. Do you remember who it was? Uh, it was some guy I had never heard of. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> Wasn't it Herbert Hoover? Yeah, it was. This is what they played when he started the VA. Yep. <laughs> Great. Uh, anything else on that, on the topic on the of... the logistics, becoming a doctor. Yeah, now that everybody has turned off the podcast, boop. <laughs> Boring. No thanks. Uh, no. I think we should move on either to our guest or to to uh, our second segment. Let's get the guest on the line. Okay. Sweet. Give him a little intro. All right. Uh, well, we'll we'll let our guest this week give his own intro, as we always uh, do. No but this doubt. is one of our classmates. No doubt. One of the best. Uh, his name is Michael Perlmutter. Yes, sir. Um, I think maybe the tallest person in our class. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Tallest and best looking is what I've heard. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll get him on the line here, graduating with us. Yes. We're not going to steal his thunder and talk about no, what he's going to be doing, going, what his plan doing. is. We'll leave it all up to, to the man himself. Let's get him on the line. Time to go mobile. Brother. <laughs> Time to go mobile. Mike Perlmutter. Hello, Mike. Santana's here. Dr. Sanchez. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> Greetings to you as well. Mike, we have been trying to get you on the pod for as long as I can remember. <laughs> this has been quite the journey, hasn't it? It has. You're a busy man. Hard to hard to track down. Yeah, well, you know, scarcity breeds uh, something, something. There's got to be a <laughs> saying in there somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're rec- we're recording live to the pod, and I was oh about to say the reason we can't get you on the pod is because I think you have four children at home, which is that's right. Although not right now because they're at school, so it's a silent house, which is a real uh, a real improvement in the state of affairs. Let me tell you. Yes, perfect for potting. When the children are away, the pod will play. <laughs> exactly. Okay, you either qu- have to pod during the school day, or you have to pod at like two o'clock in the morning. It's really it's like one or the other. <laughs> Two o'clock, not the best potting hours. Uh, okay, give us the intro. Who is Michael Perlmutter? Who's Mike? Who's Mike? Uh, I'm, let's see, a fourth-year med student at the University of Minnesota, former paramedic for a long time, and uh, going to start residency in emergency medicine at HCMC in wow. June. Wow. That's me. And as, and as mentioned, the four kids, so it's a circus here. Father of four. four kids. How old are the kids? How old are the kids? 
the kids are 10 and eight-year-olds, twins who are eight years old, and then uh, the baby who is not such a baby anymore, who's six, almost seven. Whoa. Wow. How did you so go about wow. deciding to have a fourth kid after twins? That is shocking. Uh, you know, that's like a question I ask pretty regularly <laughs> and still don't have like a great answer for. So, <laughs> did you ever? But get... She's pretty. Uh, she's pretty great. So we're pre- we're happy about it. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get asked that on the uh, the residency interview trail? But like, what what's up with the fourth kid? What's going on? No, I didn't. I didn't get asked that. I I got asked like what we do for fun and like what the kids like to do and like that kind of stuff. But it actually came up surprisingly infrequently. So. You know, I don't know. Hmm. What do they like to do for fun? Uh, they love Legos. They oh. love uh, outside stuff. They're kind of like, we're kind of like seasonal, you know, like mm. there's a lot of ice skating and sledding and stuff in the winter. Mm. And then summertime comes around and it's lakes and swimming and hiking and whatever. So, and Legos, that doesn't really change. That's, so. that's four season activity. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> that's right. Have you sustained right. uh, any injuries from the legos being strewn out on the floor you're just walking around oh that's that's like a that's like a daily thing dude there was uh <laughs> there was like a great uh a great video on facebook or twitter or something it's like a guy running on a treadmill and somebody's pouring like a oh a bin of legos out in front <laughs> so they're like continually running on the legos that and that's like one of the most realistic things i've ever seen in my life so you felt seen when you, when you saw oh i felt video. very seen especially at like you know 1 a.m like you like get up out of bed or something and you're walking down the hall and you're just like ah ow oh ow <laughs> Uh, before we skip ahead, though, you glossed over that you were a paramedic before med school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, give us the deets on how long, what type, where were you working, that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's fascinating. So I, most, most med students, a lot of med students just have like one year off in between undergraduate and mm-hmm. med school. They maybe do a little yeah. research, lab work, whereas you worked for many years. Oh, yeah. No, I took the real scenic route. Um, <laughs> I worked... I worked as an EMT up north for a little while, up in Pine County, which is kind of like the Hinkley, Minnesota area. Uh, and then I started working as a paramedic at North Memorial here in the cities in 2010. So I was a medic there for like seven years before med school. Wow. Um, and then I did, so I split my time. I was on the ground doing like 911 calls in Minneapolis and the suburbs. And then uh, I was also a flight paramedic at Air Care, which is North's like helicopter EMS system, um, starting in 2014. So I quit. I quit most of the ground stuff when I started medical school, and then I kept flying uh, through med school. Kind of got lighter through like third and fourth year with clinicals, but mm-hmm. um, still did that. And then so we fly all over the state, the Dakotas into Iowa a little bit. Whoa, um, Wisconsin. So it was a cool gig. It was fun. Cool gig, and also, uh, how I'm sure first and second year of med school when it's all like the book stuff that sucked. But did you feel yeah. <laughs> third and fourth year like there was a huge carryover from EMS, emergency medical services EMS to to clinicals? Yeah, I think there's a big carryover. I think it's sort of an interesting thing because you. I think I had like a a very narrow field of expertise from EMS. Um, so you know, for like 
if somebody's having a cardiac arrest, I was pretty good at that because uh, that's what I did for a long time. But then, you know, like pretty med good. school opens a huge amount of doors and we never talked about any of the stuff really that you get in first and second year. And even in like, you know, medicine clerkship and psych clerkship and OB and all this stuff, like if you get that as a paramedic, it's a very, very superficial level um, compared to med school. I think the real benefit was like being comfortable talking to people and being comfortable talking to pretty much anyone with without any background knowledge or introduction. I could just walk in and, and sort of make a connection with people hmm. um, and just being comfortable putting hands on people. So I think that was a I think that was the real um, game changer for me. Definitely. Would you say that you were the most qualified of our peers and by how much? The most qualified of what now? Of our class. Incoming class. Of our to, incoming to class. To start med school. And I would, I'll, quick answer, I'll say yes. <laughs> I I would say no. What? I would say. Who else was more qualified? <laughs> Give yeah. me an example. I I mean, I think if someone tried to die in front of me, then yeah, I could probably hold my own. <laughs> I think I think the great, uh, the great physiologist, Dr. Katz, put it well, though. And I, I think there's a... Uh, there were people far more qualified than me academically, I think, because I had such a circuitous route to come to it that I think the the basic sciences first and second year were, were hard. And I think uh, for me, like the real saving grace was, and actually this is something I talked about on the interview trail. What was great for me was in ECM, you know, to be able to teach people how to take a blood pressure or listen to lungs and hearts and things like that, that I was good at. But then like, I had friends, you know, in like histology lab who had who had some background in sciences who were like, no, no, it's that purple schmear, not that purple <laughs> schmear. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you uh, were so you had a you, you know. uh, were qualified for all the <laughs> important <laughs> practical things. While I was really right. good at naming the histones. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Exactly. I don't. That's right. <laughs> I think you're uh, overestimating how important the first two years of med school is because. I can well, speak for all that. three of us. We've forgotten everything from histology and neurology. That that is that is a hundred percent true. Even <laughs> uh, even in the end of fourth year, thinking back of some of the basic stuff, uh, reading up to date, and thinking, oh, yeah. I know I knew that at one point, but it's after step one that's long gone. <laughs> long <So>. gone. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, if if you do want to get in the weeds, you are the most prepared clinically. Than all of that, peers. that might be that might be true though though we do have some impressive classmates so I wouldn't uh, eh. I don't know how far out there I'd go <laughs> few and far between <laughs> now wait now we're hearing two different stories from what we heard at match day that was very complimentary <laughs> yeah a lot of awards given out at match day uh, there were a lot of awards we might have to re- retract some of them. <laughs> Um, it was well done, though. I got some. Uh, I got some texts from people who were watching at home who thought that the suits and the whole the whole show were well done. So you all pulled off a good one. Yeah. Well, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We we did do. And you know, actually, speaking of a match, you, we I know you haven't said this on the pod, but you worked at a nine month program during third year at HCMC. Um, I did, and so. Knowing that you wanted to work at a nine-month program at HCMC, like I worked in nine nine months in Waconia at Ridgeview Medical Center. You worked nine months at yeah. HCMC. I think you were really hoping to uh, match at HCMC uh, emergency medicine. Is that yeah. true? It was. It it did end up being my number one choice. So I was really happy about that. Uh, I will say though that 
on the interview trail, there were some very cool programs that were uh, that were tempting for a minute, but ultimately, ultimately, uh, Hennepin was was home. Yeah, and your kids are here. You know. Yeah, yeah. This is the spot. for us. It was good. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, congratulations. Dude. I'm, I'm stoked. I'm kind of jealous of the nine months at Waconia though, because I did uh, I did sim there after. Was that first year we did that? Second year? Uh, Whatever that was. When we would go once a week. No, it was like the it was like the summer internship in medicine thing. Oh yeah, for like, oh yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. After first, whenever year. that was, I, I did it at Waconia, and it was super cool. Like really awesome, awesome place, and good people. Yeah, I I loved being there. I really did. It was <laughs> the chillest of the chill. It was very chill. I got yeah. two letters of recommendation from the docs there. Mm-hmm. Santana and did I published really? with one of the surgeons there. We did. We did. Good impressive. old Dr. Elfman. Most, most impressive. Uh, okay, that's number one, Michael Perlmutter. Off to HCMC. Mm-hmm. Off to HCMC. Question number right. two. Oh, what are you doing in med school right now? Dude, I am chilling. I'm doing nothing. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you're chilling yeah. in med school, but you said you continued to do flying EMS, like helicopter EMS. Are you still working? I'm so I'm not still flying. I'm doing more like education stuff now here and there. So it's a pretty light. It's a pretty light commitment uh, at this stage of the game, kind of going into residency. So it's mostly like I do uh, some ultrasound training stuff. Most recently was the most recent thing. Like we're we're bringing point of care ultrasound into the helicopters, so helping to roll that out, uh, which is pretty cool. That's super. And cool. then. Uh, yeah, it's a cool it's a cool thing. We've been looking at it for quite a while and finally finally got it done. So it's been it's been cool. And then uh still doing some research on the side. So I got a few things on the back burner that are just kinda kinda cooking away. Nice. But otherwise kind of enjoying vacation. Oh yeah. I mean you gotta. I mean Right. I mean it's the next the last one for the next like three years, so yeah. might as well. And for somebody as a father and you know, second career you probably don't you probably when's the last time you had like a month to do nothing during the day mm-hmm. i i don't know it's very weird you know you're kind of like what do you what do you do with yourself with <laughs> no studying to do i think all of, i've heard a couple of us talk about that like it's a real adjustment to go from uh pedal to the metal med school to to rest and relaxation so i don't know figuring it out santana <laughs> plays a lot of video games i'll answer for him yeah oh, let's just say <laughs> the adjustment uh, you know, has been a tough one for me <laughs> as <Yeah>. well. <laughs> it sounds hard. <laughs> I'm leaning into Are the uh, depressed on the couch eating ice cream phase. Oh, oh love it, love it. A med school classic. You can't <laughs> go wrong with that. Yeah, throwback. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. Uh, well, I mean, well earned. Congrats with the time off. Yeah, That's to awesome. you guys too. That's awesome. Love to see it. I guess that kind of brings us to the third question, which is. Favorite memory from med school? Ah, yes. Oh, this is, you know, I was thinking about this and it's a tough one. And the odd part is, speaking of ice cream depressed on the couch, I was thinking back to <laughs> to the to the old Adidam days. Oh, and, yes. And there's some irony that, uh, you know, we sort of, I sort of joke that the Adidam, I call it like where happiness goes to die. And, mm-hmm. and yet... <laughs> anyway, wait, wait, background for my dad. The Adidam is in the basement oh, yeah. of the med school. There's no windows and you could be studying 24 7 it's like a it's like a vegas casino you have no idea yeah. what time it is and you get lost uh in the never-ending studying of med school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I Anyways. mean, you could you could spend your life down there and never know that it's gone by. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, keep going. Uh, so so oddly though, like despite the you know the the pain and misery of that place, I do have some like fond memories <laughs> of shared. Uh, shared suffering with the comrades you know like everybody just staring around despondently and realizing everyone else is just as miserable as them so and then some uh some ping pong games to break it up and uh some uh some video games up on the big screen down there so that that's one i want the specifics what what video games down in the i i feel like somebody brought in an old n64 with goldeneye which I don't know. I to me that is like the pinnacle of yes. gaming right yes, there. Sir. How's uh, uh, so, how's your were you just wiping the floor with everyone else in the Adidum just It was it was kind of touch and go cuz I'm so out of practice that uh, it's, you sure. know, as as mentioned the the four kids and absence <laughs> of free time uh, <laughs> my gaming abilities have tanked over the years, but I did I had a friend in high school that we used to play whose whose move was to like put one of the uh the mines like the explosive mines somewhere and then kind of lure you in with a knife fight and then blow the mine yes Classic. super dirty super dirty <laughs> super dirty but, uh, but it turns out turns out it's a great move like when you when you're the one doing it it's uh <laughs> it's <laughs> it's very satisfying turns out very so, uh effective and efficient yeah very effective okay so Kills everything memories in the adidum what else oh, you got another one I, th- I think you're about to keep rolling uh, Adidam, I, I think clinically just a, a, in the third year, like the Helix program at Hennepin, just a ton of like super fun stuff, uh, a shift in the ER overnight where it was super busy, just getting crushed and to break it up, people are taking like the, the hand foam, you know, the sanitizer foam and yep. spraying at each other in the work in the <laughs> team center and like. You know, getting people with a little sticky tape on the old forearm, you know, just a, a good old time of a good old time of uh, harassing each other while drowning in, you know, 100 patients in the waiting room. So it was it was a good time. Was, those are my people. Santana, you did your emergency medicine rotation at, at HCMC. I right? did. And you remember drowning in patients, basically. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. We didn't I, have any I foam think... parties, though, while I was there. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's the hamster wheel there <laughs> that's funny because foam parties makes me think of like freshman year of college like in like, oh, yeah. a basement where there's foam everywhere and you're just like getting hammered that's right. a different type of foam party yes come on different foam party <laughs> we should have we should have turned the lights off you know done the little uh done a little light show with the exam lights on and off on and off could have had a could have had a foam party Grand there old time right there <laughs> that's right Santana, do hey, you remember? Kids, hey kids, apply to Hennepin EM next year. Yeah, great. <laughs> Santana, do you remember? What's your he, Santana was also an Adidum person. Yeah, there was like ten or twelve yeah. people oh, in yeah. our class. The Adidum yep. dwellers. Do you remember any crazy Adidum stories? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anything crazy happened. I think Mike really characterized it well. It was mainly soul crushing, but there was <laughs> there's a deep bond that will now unite us forever i'll always have those times to think back oh michael exactly. he kept me through it just by his mere presence yes yeah see and i think i think the the other thing that i remember as a memory i don't know if you had this one santana mm-hmm. but i would sometimes come super early because i would try to get done to come home like when the kids were done and oh, i'd sure. stumble in at like 
you know, five thirty or six in the morning and somebody would just be like passed completely out on the couch. Mm-hmm. Like they've just, you know, stopped with Anki in their hand at one o'clock in the morning. And then five hours later, they're still just kind of there. That, that to me really sums up the Adidas. Yeah. That's <laughs> shocking that people would, would sleep overnight because they were studying so in late into the night. Right. Right. That, that was, med- that's med school right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Adidas. Yeah, I thought it was the worst. Never was there. No, I, thank you. <laughs> well, you were smarter than the rest of us, I think. <laughs> thank you. Always. I mean, 24-7. <laughs> right. Okay. Last question, Santana. Set it up. Our last question uh, is the most important one. And basically, we need you to go on the record and give us your hottest <laughs> take. Most oh, controversial man. take. Hot. Gets Most, the blood boiling. Hot, hot, hot. Most controversial take. See, th- this is uh, this is a tough one. I- I've been thinking about this one and what to do with this one. Mm. Uh, most controversial take. Most controversial take. You could go a lot of ways, no doubt. I, there's it. a there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities here. Um, I. I thought about. I think the one I, that that came to mind as the most controversial is is uh, a food one because I am yep. a food guy. That uh, peanut butter is terrible. Oh, <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> We've See, had and this gets this gets me on so many levels because like <laughs> residents exist on that crappy peanut butter yep. in the in the drawers for patients. I mean for staff. Yeah, you're, uh, yeah, 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 for and staff, it's, and it's terrible. It, so I'm, oh. I'm going with that. It's terrible. Yeah, you're screwed. Uh, that is yeah. hilarious. That is a, We've had some. We've had some hot food item takes on here. <laughs> like milk is no good. Uh, this is next level. Oh, I get on board with that one. Milk is no good. Oh I'll, my I'll join gosh. on that one. Well, you, compared with yours, that's cold. That's, that's ice cold, cold take. take. Because peanut butter is a universal, universally loved food product. Not, oh, I wouldn't I say universal. What about people with nut allergies, Kevin? Come on. Yeah, you're right. They're sad. But what? I mean, what? Did you ever like peanut butter when you were growing up? You didn't like chunky, skippy peanut butter. Uh, I mean, it's so good. Chunky. It's, ter- it's terrible. I- I'll just say it. It's terrible. So you've never just... enjoyed a PB and J. Uh, PB and J, I can I can suffer through it. If I have to, I'll suffer through it. <laughs> okay, as a last resort, you can choke it down if your kids are all. I can choke PB it down if, if if forced. <laughs> I don't. I don't. What don't you like about it? it it's it's uh, it's uh, everything. I you, where do you, where do you want me to begin? How much time do we have? Let's. We got all day. <laughs> it's chocked full of sugar, so it's delicious. It is. Th- that's true. That there is that. Chocked full of protein, so it's like filling and sustaining. I don't know what you don't like about it. Is it what? what yeah, it's get... it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like from Batman. You know, they just say some men just want to watch the world burn. That that's where I'm at uh, I right get now. It. I get we're it. We're just gonna let it. We're just gonna let it burn. You're the Joker. I understand. That's right. Have you ever had? That's right. And maybe I want to turn you here. Have you ever had Justin's uh, peanut butter? What? It's trash. Yeah, I don't think you've had it. I'm guessing. I know Mike. He's I've done had, his due diligence. I don't think I've had. I don't think I've had the uh, the straight peanut butter. I have had their. Uh, they make like a peanut butter cup, right? Like a Reese's. Yes. But, yes. but their version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. like it. 
No, it's terrible because it has peanut butter. <laughs> wow. What about Reese's peanut butter cups? I uh, could go the rest of my life and never eat it again. Be wow. Wow. Somebody on Twitter the other day tried to trash talk Kit Kat bars, and I I was very very upset. So I will say, <laughs> I will say, uh, I would eat a Kit Kat bar twelve times over before I would before I would touch a Reese's peanut butter. No cup. peanut so butter maybe the, in Kit Kat. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. Exactly. What about exactly. a Snickers bar? Does that have peanut butter? Yeah. Really? Ooh, no peanuts. Uh, I think it has oh, peanuts. Peanut. It has peanuts. Yeah, the, Snickers is good. Okay. Snickers is good. I guess not as not as good as a uh, Three Musketeers, but it's but it's okay. Wow. All right. So, what is your hierarchy it's, of of candy bars? It sounds like you've put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> oh, the hierarchy. Uh, pro- probably either Kit Kat or Three Musketeers at the top. That, that's that's a probably a Kit Kat at the top. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Kit Kat, Three Musketeers. I'm not a huge candy guy. I don't know. Uh, ooh, you know what's good is a uh, what's the one that's got a uh, oh a Crunch Bar? It's oh got, yeah, like the Rice Krispies in it. That's mm-hmm. up there. That's up there. Those ones you don't uh, see them as much these days. I don't know what happened. No, you really don't. For for a while there, they had the uh, the like bags of them. You guys remember that they had like they were like individual little chunks of like oh yeah uh, yep crispy Rice Krispie crunch bar mm. or like mm. uh reese's or whatever you could eat like you know a bag and it was like eight thousand calories in a bag it was great <laughs> it was the best yeah they got rid of those too i think so uh, hates peanut butter loves crunch bars loves, uh, going going back <laughs> to the um the peanut butter it's so funny the one of my physicians in ridgeview would come in every morning he was a hospitalist and okay. he would like you said like some residents physicians live off those like mini peanut butters mm-hmm. he would pour himself a glass like a small glass of the the patient coffee mm-hmm. you know like <laughs> that like the staff makes every day yeah. and then yeah, he, yeah. and then he would make himself uh pieces of toast and spread it with that like patient peanut butter and that was his morning breakfast every time i love it <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's he, not gonna that's be you fantastic. you're no. gonna be having no, dry toast Dry, yeah, what are you gonna live dry. off? What's what's the free? I don't even know what the HCMC uh, physician lounge looks like. I I've been uh, privileged to go in only. Oh, I, you know, I don't think I've ever been in there. I've been in the uh, the physician's room in the ER once. Okay, um, and it's pretty modest. Yeah, uh, I mean, and I don't is... think that's I don't think that's resident. I don't think that's for the residents. Ooh, that's just for sorry. staff. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. A, I don't think I've ever been in Hennepin's doctor lounge. I didn't even know they had one. Maybe they. I, don't. I was going to say, do do they have one? They might. I, not. I don't know. They might not. And, and I mean, it's not Abbott, so. You Ooh. Know. <laughs> in our interview <laughs> trails, Methodist. we learn about how you know HCMC is a safety net hospital. We already knew that, but mm-hmm. their profit right. margin is non-existent, basically, mm-hmm. compared yeah, to some of the other hospitals in the city that they got that profit right. flowing. Sheesh. Right. The hospital physician lounge out of control. You walk in, you get caviar, you get, <laughs> oh. you get sushi, you get <laughs> a, a chef's carving station. Yeah, with, exactly. Uh, prime rib at the door. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Hey, we can't all work at Southdale, all right? We can't all work at Southdale. I wish. Um uh, okay. someday. Any uh, peanut butter <laughs> sucks. Any other hot takes before sucks. you go? I think you know, I think I've burnt this one to the ground uh yeah. as is. I'm going to stick with uh 
with peanut butter with with peanut butter sucks and we'll just we'll just say that i love it sticks to his guns comes in it's it's pretty hot because both of us love peanut butter yeah no doubt in fact it. i may never talk to you again I, mike after this i mean i'm i mean i'm definitely in the minority because i buy it basically by the pallet load at, at, <laughs> at the pearlmutter house because the kids uh the kids love it but uh but they can keep it so <laughs> well such a good dad well thanks for making time for you us know, with the kids gone yeah, thanks for thanks for sticking with it it's uh i'm glad we finally got it done yeah, absolutely. This I mean, was... you're one of the most interesting med students in our class. We needed you have it on. Mm-hmm. It was a must. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I do what I can, you know. We'll uh, we'll see you on graduation, right? May 6th. Yeah. Northrop Auditorium. Absolutely. Northrop Auditorium. It's going to be a good day. We will officially become a doctor. Wow. That's right. <laughs> wow. Should we do a live stream of the pod? That's what I was thinking about doing. Hey, there you go. This is mobile. (laughs) It is. There you go. There's nothing like a good live pod. I mean, there's something about it. Yeah, it's a different type of energy. Uh, All right, well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, dudes. Uh, And have a great day. Yeah, we'll catch you later. We'll talk to you boys soon. See ya. Okay, bye. Bye. There he is, Michael Perlmutter. The best guest we've ever had? Yeah, for sure. Definitely the most prepared for medical school. Yeah, what? He was being modest. He was being too modest. Extremely modest. But, I mean, that's just part of part of Michael. That's why we love him. Uh, Yeah. Also, I do think he's the tallest person in our class. What about Gunner? No, no, no. Mike's for sure taller than okay. Gunner. Yeah. I think he is. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it is very <laughs> cool. Good for him. He's not only the tallest, but he wears glasses, right? And yes, and, tallest and worst eyes. And <laughs> <laughs> he has that professionalism aura to him. Oh yeah, probably because of the height. I mean, probably because of my implicit bias, right? He's like a white male, right? And like so many people are implicitly biased towards that. Well, he was saying he's already been in the workforce for oh yeah, so many years, almost ten years or something. Meanwhile, I'm. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, you know, he said he was comfortable talking to people, putting his hands on for physical exam. Yep. You're more comfortable with rats in the lab than anything. <laughs> mice. <laughs> you knew it was mice. <laughs> I know. I said rats. <laughs> mice, much cuter. Oh, so funny. Uh, Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Anyways, shout out to Mike. Mike Promoter. Shout out, Mike. Thanks for finally coming on. Oh, uh, let's move on. You want a sip of coffee? Do you want to re- re-energize? Oh, cups empty, dude. Go get us two cups, or I'll go to get us cups. Uh, okay. You want to tap dance, or you want me to tap dance? I'll let you do it this week. Okay, go get me a cup. I can go with black, no problem. Actually, get one creamer. Oh my god! This is a. I can tap dance by talking about the great coffee debate when I start residency, because when we all enter residency. We are granted access to the physician lounge, which we were, you know, referencing earlier, where basically you, you, there's all you can drink coffee in the physician's lounge. There's snacks. There's probably some salads, some lunches. But my plan will be just to go straight there in the mornings, clinic or hospital, and get my free coffee. So do I need to bring my Breville 12-cup fresh coffee maker to Madison or not? I would say no. 
What a thought-provoking question. <laughs> no, I, mean, I, could talk, I could talk about it all day. Because <laughs> uh, Danny has a K-cup, individual K-cup. Oh, so terrible for the environment, dude. So Yeah, I mean, come on. Come on, Danny. Girl, yeah. This is girl Danny? That's so sleepy, yeah. Girl Danny. Wake up. <laughs> Get woke. <laughs> uh, this coffee machine is so dope. If you don't take it, that will be... A tragedy. Uh, no, I decided I am going to take it okay. because uh, in case we ever have a company over, it's really yeah. nice to make like f- 10 to 12 cups in the It's morning. so great. And then you can, even if you're not making it at home, because you're going to be buying the beans, they'll last way longer than the grounds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Like my coffee maker, it only takes grounds. But then Danny told me she wants to keep the K-cup too. Danny. Because she wants to make be able to make individual ones very quick. Well, that's fine. But this machine does individual one too. Two is better than one. Co- coffee makers? Yep. <laughs> Buy a third one. Yeah, why not? <laughs> okay, enough of that nonsense. Let's nonsense. get on to our what's our next segment? You tell me, dude. What what did you have planned for the next segment? Breaking news. Uh, okay. Next segment is What is it? Journal Club. Journal Club. <laughs> I forgot we had that amazing sounder. Okay. Journal Club. Okay. This week's journal article yes. brought to you by me. Yes. I you, read it. Thank you for doing the research. This is from JAMA Network. Uh, Open. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what this journal is. Well, jur- JAMA, what does it stand for? Journal of American Medical association it's a huge journal in the medical world yep and so this is an article on medical education and the reason it came to my attention was because it was written primarily by a bunch of our classmates current fourth year medical students awesome so we got friend of the pod lorenzo yes is one of the authors friend of the pod varun yes uh and then Armand is the first author. Didn't we have Armand on too? Mm, did we? <laughs> I thought he rejected us. I can't remember. Well, friend of the pod, Armand. Yep. And then. And what's up? V- Vikram? Yeah. What about him? Is he a friend of the pod? Yeah, Vikram's a friend of the pod. Well, did he come on the pod? No. Okay. Enemy <laughs> of the pod. Vic. Vikram. So these guys, and then they, they wrote it also with uh, a uh, UMN faculty, Renee Critchlow, one of the one of the goats. Yeah, I mean, we got to get Armand, and we got to get Vikram on. We, we tried. I know they, they shut us down. Anybody that, other than Mike, well, including Mike, he shut us down for many months. Yeah, but rightfully so. I mean, yeah, The man's right. working, he's in med school, he's got four kids. I'm just saying, anybody that we know that hasn't been on the pod at this point is because they... Are not interested. Exactly. <laughs> the invitation has been extended repeatedly. Anyways, Please. going back to JAMA, open access. Actually, you know, before we do that, uh, Corinne Praska, friend of the pod, is friend also pod. Um, published in JAMA. A new piece? No, old piece. Oh. But like, I think it was JAMA Oncology or something like that. I mean, it's like a legitimate article. That's awesome. I was in published in JAMA, but it was not a legitimate article. It's just an opinion piece. Great great opinion, though. These guys are published in JAMA. Open Access, is, which is a little uh, less known than some of the like old school articles or 
journals. Yes, but well, still cool. This article is is great. Uh, so let's let's hear it. You know, I can barely read, so this one they really just got straight into the point. So the title is "Socioeconomic Diversity of the Matriculating U.S. Medical Student Body by Race, Ethnicity, and Sex from 2017 to 2019." Awesome. So. They basically dug into the data, uh, the socioeconomic data of incoming medical students over the course of three years. Yes. At the University of Minnesota exclusively? Um, I don't know. I don't remember what their methods were. Okay. Do, 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 do. Um, it's an important question. No. This is across the nation. Okay. They looked at... they Their sample size, it looks like it was... For they started with almost forty five thousand uh, survey respondents. Yeah, um, but they were able to use the data from thirty thousand. So that's a huge sample size. Yes, I don't know how many medical students are matriculating each year, uh, but that seems like a ton. It seems like a ton. I think every year there is about twenty between twenty and twenty five thousand medical students who matriculate. So over over three years. So this is about half. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so here's our introduction. Workforce diversity contributes to the quality of healthcare. Yet for decades, medical students, like other post-secondary education students, have disproportionately hailed from high-income households. Oh, yikes. Keep going. Keep going. Significant attention has been rightfully directed toward racial, ethnic, and gender-based... Wait, wait. Let me answer this. Let me answer this. Hello? Good morning. Uh, you're on the pod right Good now. Good morning. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> Welcome to the pod. Surprise. This is a sting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Danny Murray on the pod. All right, Danny. I'm Question number one. What's your hottest take? <laughs> Bring the heat. <laughs> no, can I call you back? We are potting right now. Yeah. Okay. Talk okay, to you soon. You Bye. Bye, Danny. <laughs> okay. What a disruption. <laughs> Go back. Read it. We'll edit that out, Danny. Don't worry. <laughs> Psych. Psych. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about this article. Uh, bup, 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 bup. So significant attention has been rightfully directed toward racial, ethnic, and gender-based diversity in medical schools with little mention of socioeconomic diversity, which is a less visible form of diversity. Mm, very true. Uh, this survey... This survey study compares the socioeconomic composition of the 2017 to 2019 matriculating medical student body with that of the U.S. population by self-identified race and ethnicity and by sex. So basically, the AAMC collects all this data on mm -hmm. uh, parental income, I believe student income, if, uh, if the student chooses to report it. You have to report your... Actually, you have to report these things if you want to be... Um, considered financial aid considered for any amount of financial aid and then um, other demographic information race sex yep. ethnicity yep. blah 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 uh so they they broke this down in a graph and it's truly is kind of shocking like i think we've talked about this before i'm sure we have it may it makes sense like from our lived experience, and if you think about it a little bit, it would make sense that students coming into medical school are more privileged than people that are not in medical school. You know, you're right. selecting for a very small group of people from uh, the population that had to have 
gone through a four-year university, which is uh, which is already a graduated huge, from high school. Graduated from high school. Yeah. Yes. Gone through four years of university, typically from um, like big universities with high tuitions mm-hmm. to even be in the running. And then you have to devote all this extra free time, not to working, unless you're Mike Perlmutter, but to you know checking off all these boxes, doing all these other right. extra things to make yourself even in the running to get into medical school. Right. So it would make sense that the people that are best positioned to achieve those goals are people that are coming from a privileged background. Right. I mean, you know, it makes sense that there'd be less diversity because like institutionalized racism. But Oh yeah, they but, so they all, they actually touch on that in this. But on on the socioeconomic place, like it costs money to get tutors for standardized tests mm-hmm. or you got to have parents be able to support you while you work on research for a year. Like, you know, money drives everything in America. And so it makes sense to me that the people who are most privileged monetarily would have the best chances of trying to get into a graduate program. Exactly. What were the findings? Um, so they have a graph here. Great, uh, great for a podcast. I was about to say that. <laughs> they have a graph. Thanks, Indiana. They have a graph uh, that's showing, basically they broke down the uh, all U.S. households into quintiles of of uh like income brackets yes so for all u.s households obviously it's 20 percent into each quintile 20 percent are in the top 20 percent 20 percent in the bottom okay for u.s medical students 20 over 20 percent wait let me guess no keep going <laughs> so for u.s medical students i'll say this around 50 percent come from the top 20 no way. From top, the top 20? The top 20%. The top quintile. The top quintile of household incomes. Right. Represents 50% of medical school enrollees. And the top f- 5% of incomes, the whatever that is, the top 20th aisle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, represents over 20% of medical school enrollees. So one-fifth of medical school enrollees come from the top 5% of income. There we go. Right? And yes. 50% of medical school uh, matriculants come from the top 20% of income. Yes. That's out of control. Yes. And then they break it down by race. And so our school, for example, um, I believe or has at least talked about trying to increase racial diversity uh, because historically uh, the univer- our university has enrolled primarily white students. Right. And they have, right? The, the Duluth class, the incoming class of 2024, 2023, mm-hmm. had the most Native American students or Native American heritage than the, ever in the history. So they're working on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they break this data down by race. And basically this trend is uh born out even if you single out you know specific uh racial minorities or ethnic groups um yes that makes sense so yeah so Within for each ethnic group or uh racial class it also is higher income than exactly the general population yeah so for uh the hispanic applicants close still close to 40 percent of matriculants come from the top uh quintile yeah Yep. For um, Asian uh, enrollees, it's 50%. Wow. 
Um, so it's not shocking, like like you said, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. But it is shocking when you like learn these numbers. Yes, yeah. So when I first heard about this article, I was like, oh, uh, duh, duh. But it is, I mean, this was published for a reason because this is novel findings. Nobody has ever looked at this before. Really? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. some stuff, but. Yeah, nobody has done this exact study before. Right. Um, what a cool, what a cool publication by our peers. Yep. Uh, okay, so then. Conclusions. I want to hear conclusions. The conclusion, the discussion here. Uh, so high-income households were overrepresented in the medical student body, both overall and within each racial and ethnic group. Uh, yep, understatement. The, the underrepresentation of low-income groups was nearly ubiquitous across race and ethnic groups. That's great, kind of redundant. It's a great sentence, though. Yeah, I bet. I bet Varun wrote that one. <laughs> um, Definitely not Lorenzo. Achieving demographic representation among physicians is a widely accepted ideal, but recent studies have shed light on the absence of progress with respect to race and ethnicity. Our findings suggest that that underlying the lack of progress may be the inaccessibility of the profession to low-income students, who, owing to powerful historical and contemporary forces like structural racism, are disproportionately students who identify as black or Hispanic. Right. A low socioeconomic status significantly decreases the likelihood that a student who is interested in medicine will apply or gain acceptance into medical school. Um, so they're doing this. So they've they've now collected this data. They've proven that this is a problem. Um, so the argument then is that those the barriers for people who are not in the top quintile should be lowered. The barriers for people who are poor oh, should be lowered. Oh, you mean like standardized test scores should be lowered, uh, amount of volunteer hours, amount of research stuff. Yes, absolutely. Um, or or the, the in addition, like the straight like monetary cost of getting all the education that you need prior to medical school and then medical school in general. Like, yeah, it, it's an argument for programs that make undergraduate and med school like six years instead right then having to spend a ton of money on undergraduate a ton of money on graduate school yes or um and this is what they they touch on in the rest of their their uh conclusion is to more directly um increase the likelihood of poor people getting into medical school by including that in the in the application process more clearly like, right like having because it's probably blind right now or like right. not actually part of the application review right um yeah hmm. anyways i, I thought yeah. that was a great article oh, yeah i think it's super interesting especially when you you uh spell it out like that when that and that graph is amazing to look at <laughs> it is we'll post it to the twitter <laughs> journal club journal club <laughs> Wait, what else are we going to post to Twitter? We got so many things to post to this podcast. It's going up. The picture, it's going up. What else are we going to post on uh, Twitter? Uh, that's it, I think. Okay. <laughs> All right, what's next? Well, we could. Should we do Kevin's Corner? Just keep the podcast rolling? We have to. Okay. Kevin's Corner. It's time for Kevin's Corner. Let's do it. Are you going to hit? <laughs> 
Yes, yes. Last week, do you remember, or two weeks ago? I don't know when it was. Last, la- last time on Becoming a Doctor, <laughs> Kevin broke down something. <laughs> it was it was the Monopoly, remember? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Kevin was in a sour mood. Yes, I was in a very sour mood. But I gave you a choice. I said, okay, what do you want, Santana? Do you want something forward-looking, positive, or do you want to look back at the illegal monopoly slash legal monopoly. Legal. And you chose legal monopoly. Yep. But this week, we're going to look forward. We're going to be positive. What? We're going to hunt for the positives. Okay, I'm ready. I said, now that we are almost entering residency, mm-hmm. that in 2018, the American Psychiatric Association workup on physician well-being and burnout, they published a well-being toolkit for physicians and residents. Okay. And these, this is a toolkit, meaning uh, they have like six to eight items that, sh- that can be implemented in for residency programs that uh, has been sh- proven fact-based, right, evidence-based to yep. improve wellness for residents. Great. So I thought we'd just go over them. Let's do it. And maybe we can brainstorm. Maybe you can brainstorm on how to start implement these from day one. Day one. Or maybe do you have to wait till you're a third year or a chief to like really start diving into these? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> third year in chief? Yeah, there's no way I'm going to be a chief, I'll tell you that much. So um, because I the, the toolkit also includes all the facts and figures on how depression and burnout is so relevant. Oh, yeah. And just, you know... Which I think I believe we've touched on. Yeah, I mean previous episodes. Every, every episode. Check out the back catalog. <laughs> so uh, they have. It says seven evidence-based framework well-being interventions mm-hmm. uh, that c- should be implemented. Yep. <laughs> so number one is educate and increase awareness. Oh, easy. That is basically educating and increasing awareness on how prevalent burnout and depression is right and you can do that a bunch of different ways but they say you can use these slides it they They made slides they made a huge slide presentation on how and how prevalent it is sign me up or you can create a speakers bureau where you know how at at residency programs once a week there is a morning what is it called grand rounds grand rounds where all the residents get together uh-huh. and, and some physicians, and they report a patient who's interesting. Yep. Well, this this toolkit is saying, why not do a speakers bureau where once a week you're talking about burnout and depression? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's one way to do it. First, evidence based modification. Easy, easily do it. I mean, it wouldn't even. It would be. It would probably be easy to do once a month. Uh, they have week. They have daily lectures or like quick little one hour lessons. Yes. Yes. If you're on, if you're working at the hospital, mm-hmm. it would be easy to remove one about whatever diabetes. Yeah, um, once a month. Once a month, put in one about mental health concerns yes. for residents. Easy. And if they made the slideshow, even easier. I'll do it. Educate and increase awareness. Yeah. Number two. Uh, Number two. Yeah, you gotta you gotta list them off. Designate time for reflection. Oh. Groups debriefs period um so the to break this down a little bit more provide physicians protected time for structured discussion groups so membership is ideally 10 to 15 participants 
facilitation facilitation by psychiatry or faculty within department chaplains uh peers that are co-facilitators and the structure can be followed protocol or open-ended processing so you could disseminate uh protocols in case there's a death or a code Mm -hmm. right after a code there's no real structured time for reflection right built in the the as far as we know as far as we know but where i've been it's been like you can seek out time if you need it. We can break these down. Right. But a code protocol, if somebody's heart stops working mm-hmm. or if their lungs stop working, mm-hmm. is very structuralized. We know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, right right now, a lot of places there's no, like, also, the day after the code, instead of having the lunch lecture, right. we're going to have a breakdown period. Right. Um And you could have senior physicians recount medical errors they made and how they've gotten through it. But this is like designated time for reflection, and it's sorely lacking in most residency programs. Right. That's number two. Now, this one I could go both ways. I think it's a Whoa. good. Whoa. I think I think um, uh, I think it's a good idea. Like you're saying, uh, when I've had a patient that got really sick all of a sudden, or the code is called on them. I mean, it is very stressful, and so I have most of the times uh felt really uh i don't know what the word is shaken up anxious Mm -hmm. about it and so it's always been on me as the learner as a medical student in that situation to like find somebody your old pal kevin well i meant like my attending (laughs) or a resident to like debrief the situation with so it would be nice to have that just kind of built in because i mean if there's somebody that is less assertive or less comfortable in that setting they might never you know get closure on the situation but uh i can see the counter argument where you know imp- taking an hour out of whatever else to have a forced reflection could just be could just feel like another set of um protocols unnecessary pro- protocols exactly or- and like we talked about today that's already already a a huge part of residency with just like getting started is all this mandatory busy work. It could seem come across as busy work. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's my take. If you, if you designate the time, it could be optional or not. Right. Right. But right now the argument is that there is no designated time. And that's probably the perfect way. Optional. But here's a, here's a block of time set aside. I, I always just go back to, man, I told you this story before. I'll tell it again. Repeat take. Repeat take on the pod. Okay. When I did my internal medicine rotation at Abbott Northwestern, mm-hmm. a patient, one of the students I was working with, one of my peers, one of their patients died, mm-hmm. and they were talking about it. And we were it was during a lunch lecture, so we were just going to move on on the topic, keep talking about diabetes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was I took time to say, "Oh, how did that make you feel?" Mm-hmm. And given space she started she got tearful she started crying mm-hmm. um but there was no designated time for her to do that right. right it was like i was i was literally prompting her to give that time right and then after she had gotten tearful obviously uh two of the faculty members gave space for her right like met with her mm-hmm. but that's like after the fact like after she's had this stress reaction that wasn't that wasn't um structured time to debrief right so um we gotta make it dude we gotta do it 
And this okay. is, remember, this is from the American Psychiatric Association. Whatever. <laughs> Santana's not impressed. All right, next one. Say the number. Number three. Teach practical skills such as mindfulness, CBT, exercise, cognitive behavioral therapy. That's like the staple of a lot of different treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, Evidence-based. Yes. Uh, so, you know, uh, you got to work on communication skills. You got to work on exercise. You got to work on mindfulness, base stress reduction techniques. Uh, the, you know, the, right now, few and far between, there's a range, there's, there's less arranged physical exercise programs, right? There's tons of grand rounds. There's tons of lecture, lect- lunch lectures. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing at most residency programs, there's not like, oh, we are not doing a lunch lecture. We're having a workout session. Yeah, or, that, that would be weird. Or, or an option. Would it be weird? Yeah. No. It, it I'm, would, it I'm here be, to say it. It would be weird. It'd be odd because it's not common. It would be weird. But the American Psychiatric Association is saying this is evidence-based to improve wellness. It wouldn't be weird. It would be improvement. It'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. Okay, no. So you're not going to bring that one there. I'm not going to bring that one. Here's my take. Yes. Yes. There is, CBT is it's evidence-based. evidence-based treatment for depression and anxiety, and I'm sure other mental uh, illnesses. Yes. Uh, mindfulness and meditation, I don't know if it's necessarily evidence-based, but certainly has been shown to help relieve stress and decrease rates of depression and anxiety. Right. Uh, but I don't think similar to the number two, number two, I don't think that having the residency program designate time for you to exercise, designate time for you to be mindful, designate time for you to practice CBT is going to have, uh, the same, um, positive effects as people who voluntarily seek those things out. I think if you make if similar to the other one, if you make space for those things, oh, you guys get to, you know, take this time off to do whatever you want. We recommend exercising because you've been in the hospital for a month and have only been eating peanut butter and saltines. Right. Then I'm all about it. Well, that's where you're wrong. Because oh. <laughs> this is like evidence-based. They had, they, I'm looking at it right now, they had 12 studies that implemented implemented physician-directed interventions to teach practical skills, right? Mindfulness, exercise. Mm-hmm. And and across the board, they showed improvement in wellness, depression, and burnout. And so, uh, you know, how much more evidence do you need to say, we should try this at our place? I don't buy it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, there's seven different changes that, that they're recommending. Let's see what the next... You can implement... I'll implement the first one. You implement two and three. <laughs> two and three, yep. Let's see what number four is. Okay. Read it off. Number four. Number four is build community. Now we're talking. Increasing diversity, increasing mentoring and coaching programs, increasing opportunities to socialize at work. Yep. I'm Um, all about it. um, They want expanded mentorship. They want expanded professional development. They want recurring social events and shared community resources, department-led team-building activities, and funded annual retreats. These have all shown to improve. Mm-hmm. And I and I, honestly, I have no idea whether these exist or not. At, at what varying degrees of different programs? 
Right. Um, and this could be another one where you're like, oh, it's forced fun, right? Like, oh, great. We get to go do another ice cream social that we have to go to. Right. Instead of just being given time off. Right. Um, but I would rather have designated time for socializing than designated time for meditating. Right. Because socializing, you can choose how to socialize, who to exactly. socialize with, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. I'll implement this one. Okay. Build community. You're going to be in charge of this one at University of Colorado. I can't wait. Um, yeah. Let's move on. Number five. Ensure access to care. Mm. And this means screening for burnout and depression. Okay. Defining a clear system for referrals to individual mental health services. Providing in-house mental health services for physicians. Walk-in mental health services Critical. if needed and arranging after hours emergency phone lines I'll, I'll let you give your take on this one well the take is uh university of minnesota has done a great job doing this mm-hmm. uh implementing this in the past five years they are routinely screening for burnout and depression yep they have a system where if you uh score a certain score that's saying that you have some type of de- burnout depression yep you're referred to the Bridge Counseling, mm-hmm. which is a free access to mental health services. Mm-hmm. Often is walk-in. Yes, also walk-in. Within 48 hours, you can be seeing a therapist. Um, so this is implemented at the University of Minnesota. I'm sure less so at... Actually, I know. I have peers who are residents, right? And they are saying trying to find time to do individual therapy or couples therapy is so difficult hmm. because you are overworked in residency. True. And there is not a clear time to seek out mental health services. So maybe this is one where it should be designated, designated, blocked off. You go to therapy. Yeah. You go to therapy right now. Head to therapy. See you in an hour. <laughs> I, I mean... I think of all of them that uh, blocking out time specifically for this makes the most sense. Right. and, and then Or you could do it this way. Sorry. No, keep going. Block off time, whatever, hour, two hours, once a month yes. for mental health. That slot is pre-filled with a visit with a counselor. Yes. Um, if you have, if you don't think that that's going to be beneficial for you, you can just drop it. You, you opt can out 48 hours before. Opt out, yeah. and then you can do your exercise. You can do your mindfulness, or you can you know, do whatever. Go right. play Elden Ring. Right, for an hour. For an hour, and then back at it. <laughs> back on the wards. Yeah, I mean, I like what you're saying. You could do designated time and be one of four things you can do. All Any of these things. Right. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I was reading, you know how we're becoming a doctor. We're doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read the handbook for University of Colorado resident handbook? I you know outlining how much vacation, how outlining salary, outlining not not uh, not a page turner. I did read through the whole thing. Wow, some of the things I learned. I skimmed. You could have three weeks of vacation, but you have an extra week of paid time off if you're going to conferences. Ooh. So I reached out and said yada yada yada. They said, oh, that doesn't that doesn't apply to interns. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, one of the things was, um. You can leave the work hours during the day to go to uh, doctor's appointments. Great. Which is um, the, 
which is the the rules at the University of Minnesota Medical mm-hmm. School, right? You can yeah. do that, right? You can leave a rotation to go. But same as if I'm a resident, that I can say, oh, I will be gone from 1 to 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. once every other week to, I mean, the the only difference is you're still expected to finish the workload, right? right you're exactly. still expected, expected to take care for the same amount of patients, right. finish all the same amount of notes, do as many admits. Mm-hmm. So it's really on you if you want to take time out during the workday. You're going to be staying at the work for an hour later. Right. But maybe you do. Maybe that's like the best time you can find at mental health services. Yeah. Anyways, ensure access to health care is number five. That should be number one. Number one, increase educate and increase. These aren't in order. They're I not know. top. <laughs> I know. I know. But in my mind, they are. It and that should sense. be number one. And and. Be, uh, going to the fact that it should be number one, there's a lot of slides on this one, right? Oh, perfect. Uh, there, medications should be m- more used for physicians uh, to, like, you know, antidepressants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, always increasing pH, uh, you know, wellness, et cetera, et cetera. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, la, 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 la. Oh, my gosh. Here's an interesting one under this umbrella. Positive outcomes for treatment of substance use disorders in physicians. Guess what percentage uh, percentage of U.S. physicians have a substance use disorder? Twenty nine percent. What it's using? It says more than ten percent of U.S. physicians have a substance use disorder. That's way off. Um. Anyways, number six. You say it off. Number six. Improve workplace environment. Hmm. What's the first thing that pops into mind when you, when I say that? Uh, improve workplace environment. I guess yeah. like have food for the people. Yeah, exactly. Feed your folk. Have er- ergonomic, ergonomic workstations. Have you been to any place where the residents work where they have ergonomic workstations? I don't even know what an ergonomic workstation is. We're talking about chairs specifically built, uh, specific for good posture, good. Like physical? No. Have you ever seen work like standing workstations for residents? Yes. Commonplace for everyone. Like everyone has access to one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At I not at. I mean, yes, I have. I have seen that in some places. So some places are knocking out of the park. Yes, that's like part of the workplace environment. Some places they've switched out all the desks, all the tables for the ones that go up and down. I've seen that. That's so no great, matter where right? you're sitting, you can convert it to a standing desk. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, make sure they have access to uh, a, a baller uh, physician's lounge. Yes. Right? Like Mike was saying, there should be a chef in the physician's lounge, or at least on call. <laughs> One call away. And then like holding regular meters to regular meetings to improve work environment mm-hmm. with plans, follow-ups. Um, right. I'm guessing that is probably implemented. Yeah, to a degree, right? But it's, I mean, it, what it all comes down to is decreasing workload and increasing this stuff. Be- uh, because right now, the the focus is on, you know, workload and learning and stuff. Yes. No doubt about it. <laughs> no doubt about it. Anyways, last but not least. Go on. Sorry. Oh, number seven. Transform institutional culture Mm. yeah you know improving culture of well-being i don't know well-being committee Mm. encouraging department chairs to always be talking about well-being um 
that one's more you know vague but uh the takeaway a variety of interventions have been effective in reducing burnout solutions are complex Mm -hmm. Um, and then they then they go on to say how to start implementing interventions at your organization and they kind of give you a way to do it but out of the top seven i'll go through them real quick um educate and increase awareness designate time for reflection teach practical skills build community Ensure access to care. Eight hours later. <laughs> Improve workplace environment. Uh-huh. Transform institutional culture. I want to be positive. I want to look towards the future. Sorry. Would you bring any of these to your program director and say, oh, my buddy and I, yeah. we talked about these on a podcast. I no, want to help probably implement. Won't say that part. <laughs> I want to help implement so-and-so, number six on the, on the thing. Well, legitimately, number one seems like I could do that right now. If they've already created the slide deck. Yes, they have. I would just, all you'd have to do is find a morning report that is maybe a little bit less uh, relevant. Yeah. No. Low yield. No. And cut it. Put this one in. Yes, exactly. Easy, because this is very relevant and very high yield. What's more high yield than having a healthy, happy life? Healthy, happy life. Inside and outside of the hospital. Love it, dude. Actually, you've inspired me. I'm going to email the chiefs and say, I would like to present this during the first year at some point during Grand Rounds. Wow. Grand Rounds. Yeah, because... Shooting for the stars. Yeah, because right now, Grand Rounds is just another hour where we learn about a patient, learn about a disease. Well, Grand Rounds is is usually... Well, you could probably because usually it's really long and they have like a bunch of speakers. You could you could get in there, right? No sweat, right? I, I'm just saying, take focus off just the same old things that have always been institutionalized medicine, grand rounds, and let's do this one of these one of these weeks. I've been inspired. Godspeed. How are you going to do it? How are you going to try to implement it? Or or I'm going to be like, hey, can I do a morning report about mental health? Here's my slides that I did not make. <laughs> yeah, but perfect, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> What's the morning report? I can't remember. That's the one that they do every day. They they do every day, and it's it's basically a smaller grand rounds uh, that the typically the chief residents or the senior residents will give a talk on a patient. They'll be like, this person presents with mm. uh, back pain and a fever to one hundred and three. What what would you do first? Oh, I want to listen to the heart sounds. That would be me. They're like regular rate and rhythm. <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> Thanks, Santana. Jeez. Okay, yeah. So you're saying take one of those, at, do this instead. Yeah, love it. I think so. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm going to hold you accountable to asking to Great. do it. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> and that's Kevin's corner. Thank you to the American Psychiatric Association, their Wellbeing Ambassador Toolkit from 2018. Thanks to decrease physician burnout and depression. I love it. That was a heck of a corner. What do we have next? What a corner. Well, last but not least, you know what it is. It's always the mailbag. Hi, I'm Elwood Edwards. And 22 years ago, I recorded a very well-known catchphrase for AOL. Hey, Elwood, I just got an email. You've got mail. Thanks, Elwood. (laughs) So our question this week is... Um, is, hello, what advice do you have for, uh, new incoming first year medical students? Thanks. 
Do you have one off the top of your head? Uh... I, I can only, my brain is filled with generic advice. Oh, I have specific advice. Oh, yeah. My specific advice is um, find a mental health provider wow. and form that relationship early. Mm, I love it. Because there are times when uh, med school is more challenging mm-hmm. and you will want to have that built up relationship so you can get plugged in and you don't, you know, mental health services, you, a lot of time, like the intake hour, the first one is like, you're going through your background, you're going right. through this. And then it takes a couple of times before the person really knows you. Right. Um, for example, I hadn't seen my therapist for four months, five months, mm-hmm. just chilling. Mm-hmm. But suddenly we're throwing a curveball. We, I'm grieving the death of the life that Danny and I thought we were going to have in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I email my 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 therapist and say, "Hey, can we meet next week?" He says, "No problem." Easy. So my that's my advice incoming. Go to Bridge Counseling, get the referrals, and find somebody. And and it and it takes time to find somebody. It's like, oh yeah, it's like online dating, right? You're not going to click with everybody right away. <laughs> it sometimes you need to bounce around, try two or three providers, right? Until and you even, find somebody. Yeah, and even if it is your first one, it's still going to take. Even if you do like the first person that you work with. It still is going to take a ton of time just because of the high demand uh, on uh, for mental health exactly, services. Exactly, it could the take up to a month just yeah. to get the intake. That's great advice, actually, because you never know when a curveball might come your way. Right, and there is like there for a lot of medical school. Obviously, not right now. <laughs> not fourth year. Not for us, but for the majority of it, there's not a lot of slack. Like, if you get thrown a curveball, there's nowhere for you to deal with it. Like, you are busy, 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 busy. Right. Almost all your time is accounted for between um, studying class or doing your your clerkships. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's great advice. Yeah. Take the time early. Get that set up. Even Um, before med school. Right. Even before. Even if you, even if you're a person that has never dealt with stress, anxiety, depression, which I believe those people are few and far between. But if that is the case, you know, you're probably a planner. Take the time, plan ahead a little bit and uh, and set up that set up that relationship. Even if you never have even if you do never encounter a situation where you need to um, acutely talk to somebody. Yeah. Go see that that therapist once every six months if there's nothing acute and just have that built in relationship. Mm -hmm. And do you remember I was just trying to look this up. I can't find it. Remember when he came in to med school? admin sent out that email of like 20 things to do right no oh well there was like a list of things you have to do Uh to get ready for med school Mm -hmm. and none of them said find a you know therapist to build a relationship but like that should be part of the incoming three months leading in yeah like shop around um shop around that's my specific advice i love it here will be my advice um taking a turn here i would say that it's very difficult to do for a lot of people, myself included, but I think as early in the process of medical school, try to change your mindset from a student to like basically a baby doctor uh, because it's, r- it's really easy to get caught up, especially after being a pre-med in my case, in trying to learn everything, trying to memorize everything, trying to be a perfect student trying to do really well on these exams 
which we've talked about many times on the podcast, are basically fake exams. Right. They have no bearing on whether you're going to be good at your job, whether you're going to get the residency spot that you want. No. No bearing on anything. No bearing on anything um, other than, I guess, like passing the course. So obviously you need to pass a course, but you will if you work hard and study. But I think that shifting the goal from like learning all this minutia for the sake of like getting an A knowing the right answer to trying to start learning the skills of being a doctor, you know, like Mike was saying, being comfortable talking to people that are very different than you, that you don't know anything about, um, being comfortable putting hands on people and being comfortable with people being in vulnerable situations. Yeah. Um, being comfortable, both learning the first couple of years are just learning a ton of jargon primarily being comfortable learning that jargon and understanding it and being able to communicate, but also being able to interpret it to normal words that normal people use. Right. Um, and just but, not being so focused on your... But that, I think, I mean, that's such great advice, mm-hmm. but that is also general. What If I'm at first, first year, that goes in one year out the other because I have no idea how to do that. Right. What is that? I mean... Try to specify, uh, specify well, it in more. Specify it more. The, the thing is, is that I think it is tricky. And I think that I I am not um, the most type A, uh, you know, goal-oriented person. And even for somebody like me, it took multiple years for me to shift my mindset. I don't think it was until very recently that I, came, that I finally came to the realization that like... N- this a lot of this does not really matter or bear any impact on myself or on my future patients. So I think it is really just trying to continually kind of reset your mindset. Be that aware the, of that the point isn't to be a good medical student. It really is not. No, the point is to set yourself up to be a good doctor in the future. Right. Um, and as much as you can remember that, like not knowing stuff is fine. Um, you're going to, there's too much stuff to know and you're going to continue to learn. We're going to continue to learn stuff for the next, you know, 10 years of our career, if not until the very end. I'm done at 10. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I think just having that bigger picture in mind would be my biggest advice. And I think that you're right. It It will be too difficult right out of the gate first day to have anything, uh, else on your mind other than you know, learning the minutiae. Exactly. You're used to it. You're coming pre-med. Do, yeah, doing good on your anatomy exam. But well, it's not the end. You know, it's not. It's not the end of the world. I could talk about this for days, right? Because it was on my mind as class president. Oh yes. But there were so many factors uh, from the med school that said you're wrong. And I'm not you personally, but right. like, no, you have to focus on the minutiae because. For a, such a long time, our final exam, if you didn't pass it, you failed the course, which means you had to repeat an entire class. Right. So they're saying, oh, no, this is so important to learn the minutia. Otherwise, you're not going to pass med school. There was AOA, which placed a huge emphasis. If you wanted to go in into any of the competitive specialties, you would have to perform well on these fake exams. Mm-hmm. And so... For such a long time, and at other schools currently, there was such an emphasis that uh, don't change your mindset, keep learning the minutia, 
And the argument could still be made. The step one, step two, right? Step one, you still have to pass it. And it's yeah. all about the minutia. Yeah. So uh, it's harder said than done. Easy, yeah, harder said than done. Right. I guess I don't change your mindset. I guess I don't want to be mis- I don't want to be misinterpreted. Like that is the majority of well, the entirety of the first two years of medical school. Oh, I'd say eighty percent is learning the minutia, the yeah. details. Yep. Physiology pathophysiology anatomy which are things that are very important for a doctor to know um but i don't think i think that the goal should be to learn that stuff certainly but not to push yourself to the breaking point about you know trying to get trying to learn 100 percent on the exam 100 percent. trying to get a whatever 280 on step one and i think i i'll tack on to your advice to incoming if there was like an incoming med student i would say uh be okay now that the finals aren't you have to pass to pass the class be okay with failing like if you've already passed the class and you only need like a 40 percent on the final exam invest your time in something that's clinically relevant or something that's good for you right that's what i would say right yeah have a little bit more balance and oh the external forces that were such a long time yep the Duluth campus does a great job from day one stressing about thinking like a doctor. Hmm. They teach a very different way from the Twin Cities, and that's why the Twin Cities is changing their curriculum to okay. to the Duluth. But they from day one, they want you thinking like a doctor instead of like trying to learn every minutia. Right. So great job by the Duluth campus to being ahead of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's it. Okay, well, end of the mailbag. Hi, I'm Elwood Edwards, and 22 years ago, I recorded a very well-known catchphrase for AOL. Hey, Elwood, I just got an email. (laughs) You've got mail. Great. And that's the podcast. That's the end of the pod. As we say, oh, shout out to Michael Perlmutter. Mike, one of the best. Best guest. Best guest award to that guy. For sure. Shout out to Folly Coffee. Keeping us energized. And shout out to... Chuck Levin's Washington Music Center. Yes, sir. Uh, like we say every week, a, a bird, bird in the hand, hand is worth two in the bush. bush. See ya. <laughs>